When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com. Visit ShopOhioState.com for seasonal deals on the best Ohio State apparel. It's the website of the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. Go to ShopOhioState.com and visit MinutemanTickets.com. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Concerts, theaters, especially sporting events. Go to MinutemanTickets.com for all your ticket needs. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means in our McDonald's podcast studio. We have written at McDonald's many, many times over the years. One time I got trapped in the bathroom stall at McDonald's and had to crawl out of my hands and knees. I have eaten more plain double hamburgers, more small fries, and have consumed more large Diet Cokes than I would care to mention. But never before have we used McDonald's as a podcast studio. But we are cold, we are desperate, and we are here. Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means, the playoff rankings just came out. Later, we will talk to Robert Smith. We'll talk to Ralph, uh, Robert Smith of Fox Sports. You know, he played for Ohio State. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then Ralph Russo of the AP to give us some big-picture perspective on the Buckeyes. We want to get into the Michigan win a little bit more. But right now, we just came from the playoff um, rankings being announced. Ohio State's number six. They're behind number five, Oklahoma, and I think they're dead. I thought Ohio State had a decent chance to be ahead of Oklahoma tonight. But not only did the committee rank Oklahoma ahead of Ohio State, the way the committee chairman, Rob Mullins, spoke about it led me to believe that, that, that obviously – Whoever was going to be ranked higher on Tuesday night had the edge going into Sunday. But, but before Tuesday night, I thought, you know what? If something extreme happens on championship week, weekend, they could flip-flop. If they both win, they could flip-flop if there's something extreme. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think right now where it stands, Ohio State needs Oklahoma to lose. If that doesn't happen, Ohio State is going to the Rose Bowl and not the playoff. Steven, you were there as all of us on the beat sat around a card table on the field at the Woody Hayes Indoor Athletic Center. Uh, they eventually turned the lights out on us. Do you agree? Do you think that it now officially will take an Oklahoma loss for Ohio State to get past the Sooners, or is there some little slither, slither, not slither, sliver, sliver? I had to roll. Tell us what you said. I had to. We had to roll a table back and put it against the wall when we were done, and Ari Wasserman and I were trying to roll the table, oh. and it was just... 
pathetic. Yeah, y'all look like two people who hadn't done manual labor in at least 20 years. And, we got, and then we got done and Steven said, are you wheezing? And he said, <laughs> yeah. I'm 45. Yes, I'm wheezing from rolling a table. With help. It was ugly. It was also ugly for Ohio State. Steven, do you agree or do you think there's some, some chance that even if Oklahoma wins, Ohio State could win 100 to nothing and get past them? I think that at this point it's kind of over. I think the problem is too much. Too in order in order for them to get in, too much would have to go Ohio State's way. Yeah. Ohio the, that, in twenty fourteen Ohio State won fifty nine to nothing, which played a huge role into why they got into the college football playoff because of how well they played in the Big Ten championship. This time around, the Big Twelve has a championship game. I think it would take a combination of, and this is even still a slim chance. Oklahoma beats Texas, but it's a wire-to-wire game where it pretty much comes down to the last four minutes of the fourth quarter or even overtime. Meanwhile, Ohio State just has its way with Northwestern. Northwestern doesn't even get on the scoreboard. That would – and even then, it's still a slim chance. I think the like the, the moral of the story is at this point, for Ohio State to get in – Ohio State has to do more right than Oklahoma does in order to get into the college football but, but But, 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 but you think – so you do think there's an opening? Because I, I think that door is shut. I, I'm not going to shut. Okay, it's, okay, I'll say this. It's shut, but it's not locked. They can still get back in. So you do think if Ohio State wins 52-3 to and Oklahoma wins 49-48, you think Ohio State could pass them? I think there's a chance, yes. I think that will not happen. And, I, and here's the thing. The more I talk about the committee, and this is the fifth year of doing this, um, I think it's interesting. I think it's a better way than the way they did it before. I think it's better um, than relying on pollsters. You have to get pollsters out of it. Pollsters are idiots. I think some computers could be used, but you need at least a group of educated people who are talking, people who are committed to it. Pollsters do it in their spare time in 15 minutes. And I say this as someone who's voted for years. You cannot leave any part of this up to idiotic, uninformed biased, ignorant pollsters. You may not like the committee. It's by far the best way they've ever had to do this. But the one thing we've learned about the committee is they are arbitrary. However, within that arbitrariness, arbitration, arbitrariosity, they're not going to just jump Ohio State. I don't, like I said, unless they have an excellent reason to do so. But again, I just think they've decided Oklahoma, no matter what, 12 and 1 Oklahoma is better than 12 and 1 Ohio State. Right now it's 11 and 1. But if both get the 12 and 1, I just think the die is cast. I think Ohio State is done. They'll be going to the Rose Bowl against the Utah Washington winner. I'm a little surprised by it, but Stephen, I think one thing we've learned and you try to learn things with the committee and then they change their mind and I'll try to get into that a little bit. I'm trying to look some stuff up. We have a good question about it. But Stephen, the idea that it seems like this 29-point loss to Purdue is just hanging around their neck. It's not the loss, it's it's to, to who it was and by how much. Is that a good piece of criteria? If that's the thing that keeps them out, because Oklahoma's one loss was closer and to a better team. So even if Oklahoma's wins aren't as good, their loss was much better. Is that what this should come down to? A better loss by Oklahoma? Or is that the wrong thing for them to be hanging this on? I think that's exactly what they're hanging it on. I don't think that's what you should hang it on. I think Ohio State had a bad game. Now, the problem is they had a bad game against a team they had no business having a bad game against. And then the two weeks you know, after that, they didn't play well at either. They just they were just a more talented team. And then we finally saw them put it all together against Michigan. Meanwhile, 
Oklahoma, their one loss is to a team that they're going to re have a rematch against in the Big 12 championship. So they're going to have a chance to avenge that loss. Also, Oklahoma hasn't had a bad game by Oklahoma standards. So I think that also plays a role in it. But, yeah, I do think that the main point is you have two teams with one loss. Okay, let's value these two losses here. One loss to a team, even if it was on the road, it was to a team they shouldn't have lost to. And not only did they lose, they lost in a convincing fashion to – to the point that there there could be a conversation of who was actually the better team in that game. Meanwhile, Oklahoma lost a game, lost a game where if you replay that game, which they are going to get a chance to do that, it may be a different result, and we're going to see whether or not that's the case on Saturday. We're scrambling here. I will be honest. We're scrambling here. We're, we were going to do this earlier. Then we had to do the college football, um, the Big Ten. All conference teams, we had to work on that. Urban Meyer didn't win coach of the year. Then we had to go do interviews. Stephen was at basketball today. There's like a lot of things day. going on. So we're like, we're scrambling a little bit because there's a question um, that there's a question that someone asked, and I think it is very well taken. Here's the question. Let's see if I can get to it. It's about the idea that it feels like over the years, the criteria. Um, has changed a little bit of what they what they care about the most and it seems to be that there was a time where they ca they cared more about good wins and now they seem to care more about bad losses and i cannot find the question and if you ask that i apologize a couple people have asked a smart question um about this on twitter afterward mike drury who mike Dury, who's always has good opinions, says they're wildly inconsistent. This is the first time where they're valuing bad losses over good wins. I'm sorry, but Michigan and Penn State are better wins than West Virginia and Iowa State. I think that is a good point, but there was a time, and I'm trying to look in 2015, right? 2015, Ohio State's one loss is by three points to Michigan State, and they wound up seventh that year. They wound up seventh in the rankings behind two-loss Stanford as a one-loss team and, and I felt like at that time, and, and I apologize if I'm wrong, I wish we had more time to research this, that their biggest deal was they didn't have enough good wins because the Big Ten wasn't good enough. But they had a good loss. They had a three-point, what was it, 17-14, right? Mm -hmm. It was that close. And, and back then it was like, okay, your loss was close, but your wins weren't, weren't good enough. Now we're, we're talking about a situation where um, clearly – Ohio State has some better wins, but but now the big loss is killing them. Let me get let me get this up at least. So that year in 2015, uh, Ohio State had the 17-14 loss to Michigan State, who was ranked number nine at the time. Then they beat Michigan, who was number ten, but they didn't beat another ranked team. Okay, so so they had one good win and one close loss, and that made them seventh behind a two-loss team. And I actually feel like. Um, that's, that's a somewhat similar resume to what Oklahoma has now. Now, the difference is Ohio State didn't go to the Big Ten Championship because they lost to Michigan State. They didn't have a chance to get a championship. Oklahoma will. But the fact that Oklahoma is ahead, um, kind of because their loss is better, I do think it shows that the, this committee does change what matters. It's because the people change, and they don't have precedent, and it's not judicial. The people change, and I do think Ohio State the last two years, I think – it's like we feel like we're learning this, Stephen, but again, we may have to unlearn it because it may change next year. Which I think is part of the problem. Which it, I think you they, think it's a problem? Yeah, but, yeah. I think they knew, you need to have a consi consistent basis of how you're going to judge teams, who's going to get these fours, and these, especially when it comes down to pretty much 
at this point in the season, every single year for the most part, it's going to come down to like who's going to get that three and four spot. Usually at this point, unless something crazy happens, number yeah. one and number two are pretty much going to be set with whoever those two teams are. When you're getting down to those three and four spots, you, yeah, there needs to be a consistent criteria. You can't have one year where it's, oh, it's going to be we're going to judge good wins or we're going to judge good losses or in the next year we're going to go as just bad losses or who just has a win but they didn't win the way they I think there needs to be a consistent way that you're going to judge this if they're going to use this from now on or because if not it's just what's the difference between that and doing a BCS thing where it's pretty much every year it's a different criteria to win the same trophy pretty much well the difference is again pulsers are dumb but but I do yeah, think but, it's it they have the criteria in there but they're just people man they're just people like you and me flawed trying their best which is why they need a system put in place that they can follow something a rubric that they can look at and go okay they check this off it checks this off it checks this off instead of just going blindly every year in which every single human being has different things that they care about with the football team so we don't want to do only playoff stuff because we could talk in circles for two hours and that's not our intention um there's no right answer i think the thing we're trying to tell you is ohio state is not in good shape going into the weekend i i think i had believed at least that the idea of if they win impressively uh in the big 10 championship they really could be in a good spot and i, and I just don't feel that anymore it's just the way this guy talked about it the way rob mullins talked in the circle he talks like a robot i, I said i wrote it in my story on cleveland.com I, I wish i wish barry switzer was the committee chairman i wish barry alvarez was the committee chairman i wish somebody who talked about college football with passion got out there and it's a bar argument it's not a thesis presentation, and, and they just suck the joy out of this because we – it's frustrating at times, and I actually get sick of talking about it, but I knew fans are interested in it. It, it. it is intriguing. It's something that only college football has. The NFL doesn't have this. Major League Baseball, the NBA, we don't, they don't have this. For good and for bad, this is unique to college football. But I wish they could make it fun, and they just put these robotic ADs who are afraid to say anything, and they come out, and they just confuse the issue, and I think they just um, – they talk about it in a way that makes it even more frustrating than the idea of, you know what, you know, you had your shot. You didn't do what you needed to do, so how much can you really complain? I do think, and I'll, we'll get some questions about this, but I just want to lay a groundwork, Stephen, of where you are. Are you an eight-team guy, or do you think the four-team playoff is better? I'm an eight-team guy, 100%. It makes more sense because then you got at least half the top ten in. I know. more than half the top ten. It, it would match more of what the rest of uh, – American sports does now yeah. because you know we know 16 teams make the NBA playoffs and the yeah. NHL playoffs. We know uh, 12 teams make the NFL playoffs. They've added wild cards in Major League Baseball. Um, I'm okay. If you go to eight, you're letting bad teams in. No doubt about it. Because I assume if you do that, you'd, you'd, you'd let the conference championship games, or if you still did conference championship games, but that would get everybody in. And sometimes eight teams don't deserve it. So some years, um, you'd have five good teams, and you'd be scraping to find the other team. And then you're trying to decipher the seven and eight seeds between a bunch of two-loss teams, and how do you tell them apart? I'm okay with leaving out good teams because both Ohio State and Oklahoma would be in a situation where they could have done something about it. They had, they, they, you know, it's not you're not you're never in a spot where you have six undefeated teams. Everybody who doesn't make it has only themselves to blame, and so. Um, I don't want to get bogged down in that, but I'm not. I guess I'm not against the 18 playoff, but I, I don't know that Ohio State and Oklahoma are both so good enough. So good are Ohio State and Oklahoma both so good that if one's going to be left out, right? Is that a travesty? 
Is that a, is that an injustice? I'm not gonna say it's an injustice, but no matter what sports you're talking about, there's always like lower level teams who have no business being in the playoff, but they're in the playoff, and especially in football where it's one game, it's not like it's a series like it is with baseball and basketball where the best team is usually gonna win. When you're playing one game, anything can happen. So I think if you go to eight teams, well, that AC might just get on a roll. Now it's very unlikely, but they might just get on a roll and win three straight games and win a national championship. Ohio State did it in their first year. They were the they were the fourth seed in that year, and they just got on a roll at the right time, and they won the national championship. Uh, Mike Lorenzi, whose Twitter handle is somehow underscore underscore z underscore underscore underscore. That's amazing. He says, um, "Do you think?" Now, was he the one that asked it? Somebody asked. Now I'm trying to find it. Did someone delete it. Someone asked if, uh, oh, he says the scandal isn't helping at all, but I doubt it's really in play. And someone else did, had asked about that. Is, the, is what happened, uh, Nick Verzi, Inversible on Twitter, actually asked, do you think the committee factors in the Urban Zach Smith scandal um, behind closed doors? I don't. No. I don't. I mean, it, it, I just, because um, the one thing about that is it didn't, the kids didn't do it. And so I, I don't think you can, you can um, I don't think they would. Those are ADs in there and coaches and i think there's a lot of things in the ncaa that you know they do things for money and they don't have the best interest of the athletes at heart a lot of times but i, I don't think that those ad's and coaches wouldn't be in the business of like keeping 85 ohio state players out of the playoff if they were more deserving because their coaches screwed up early in the year you know i just i i there's a lot of conspiracy conspiracy theories you can latch on to when things are behind closed doors i don't think this is one of them i don't think you can blame you can punish kids for adults mistakes especially an adult who's not even there anymore like he was fired yeah. immediately it's no different from the story that came out a couple of weeks ago about zach smith allegedly saying racially you know charged things in practice like right whether that's true or not like he's not here anymore so like yep everything about him is irrelevant at this point zach smith's not going to the playoff no, no matter what right so, so you don't have to worry about keeping zach smith out correct all right, I don't want to do all playoff stuff. We're going to get to some of your really good uh, Twitter questions and Gmail questions. You can always email us at Gmail. Um, it's BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. David Renner says, uh, underdog in the college football playoff, read me. So uh, we'll read it. I don't know. Put three exclamation points on it. Love the podcast. Live in St. Louis now and really dig the two-hour-plus post-game pod. I look forward to it every week. Urban is a master motivator, yet everyone always worries about a letdown with the Buckeyes after such a big win. Maybe you could ask Urban or just answer on the podcast. Could a silver lining... Um, to being number six, be that yes, we we may not be the underdogs in this game, but we are in the college football playoff race. You know the players saw this and are feeling disrespected. So, Stephen, we know the players have talked about this. They acknowledge style points. They, I think the players have acknowledged. Terry McLaurin did on a conference call. I think Draymond Jones did. Maybe some other guys did on Tuesday night when we talked. It seems like they acknowledge they're playing two games Saturday. Yeah. They're playing Northwestern, and yet they're also playing Oklahoma, and they know that. They understand that their, their focus is on Northwestern 100%, but they understand that there's more at stake here than just like a Big Ten championship game. And they have no problem saying that, hey, yeah, we're focused on this game, but we understand that this game actually means more than just being able to hold up a trophy 60 minutes after, later after a football game. It's about a little bit more than that. And we're understanding that. We're going to focus on this, but this is in the back of our head that it exists. And if they come out and don't play well, everyone's going to say they were too worried about the playoff. They didn't yeah. focus on Northwestern. But they just know they have to play really, really well. And I do think there's a thing, and, and to your question, David, like they're, they're, I think the opponent is somewhat irrelevant in the idea of 
they know they have to be great to have any shot because right. they can't play a Maryland game. They can't play a Nebraska game. It doesn't matter that their team they're playing is 8-4 and four and lost to Akron and Duke. They must look great, and they have at times played down to the level of competition this year. For a team that has struggled with that, I do think there may be an idea of this being an extra motivator that we're not just looking. Because sometimes you know they win and they say, man, just win, just win, just win. That's enough. That's not enough, and they know that. So I do think they'll be whatever. They'll they'll be treating this like Michigan because they know they're not just playing an 8 and 14. They understand that regardless of <clears throat> they understand pretty much that they have to play so well that at least for the next 12 hours until they announce the official people that there's going to be a conversation, hmm, did they play good enough to get in? they have to play that well to where like people are thinking about that for the next 12 hours. All right, another good question here. We're going to take it in another, again, a different direction a little bit. I like bouncing around like this. Colton, Colin Holton Robb. Fans have knocked Dwayne Haskins a little because of his lack of running ability. If JT Barrett was the quarterback for this team with this defense, what do you think their record would be? I think we would have three losses. Penn State, Purdue, Maryland. Now, the one thing is JT ripped it against Penn State last year in the fourth quarter. When they needed it, JT played as well as he had ever played. So you have to keep that in mind. However, I lost count of how many times I wrote and talked about JT Barrett Barrett needing to rip it during his years as a quarterback at Ohio State. And I always talked about in two-minute drills when they were down at the end of a half, he would. And the rest of the time, he often was a little bit hesitant. And with as much as they have relied on the pass game with this team – which is my, the offensive line played unbelievably well on Saturday. And I want us to hammer that again in this podcast, but they haven't been great all year. You can't imagine this team without a great passing game. Like if they didn't have a great passing game, I don't know where they'd be. And if they had JT, I think they might have a good passing game and a good running game, but I don't think that would be enough. And I think they would have at least one more loss. Yeah. I'm not going to give them three losses. I'll give them two losses. I think because, the way they've decided to play that since Haskins has became the number one quarterback is they've gone a lot more pass heavy. And, well, yeah, you do that when you have a quarterback who has this type of arm who, for the last two games, has really carried that offense with that arm of his. I think, <clears throat> first of all, I hate how this is constantly a thing of, well, if this guy were still the quarterback, or, I wish we had this quarterback. Because no matter who, like in the next year, with Martell's in there, they'll be going, man, I wish he had Haskins' arm. Or, well, Let's see, but I think if, we'll be wishing for Dwayne for a long time after Dwayne is gone. Well, <laughs> I think that will yeah, continue. Yeah, okay, but the thing was, it was also the fact that it was, hey man, he can't run like Tate can, so can we get a Tate Martell in there? And then they put Tate Martell in there. Now they put him in there extremely late, so that package has never had any type of success. But the point of the matter is, how about we just appreciate what this man is doing? He's I, he's the greatest quarterback Urban Meyer has ever coached. When it comes Dwayne to, Haskins? Yeah. When yeah, so we're to, appreciating by saying he's better than JT. Yeah, but... Why do we have to tear down JT to praise Dwayne? Yeah, especially when earlier in the season, it's how come he doesn't run like JT Barrett runs? I don't think... Any, nobody who said that should have been taken seriously. I didn't say that. Hi, Doug and Steven. Yeah, they'd have a couple more losses. They really would. Yeah, they'd be they, different. Yeah, they'd have uh, And they would... I don't think, like... I don't think... The Purdue, the defense killed him against Purdue, and I just don't think a JT Barrett offense would have been able to keep up. I know? don't think they would have beat Michigan. I mean, JT was a monster against Michigan, but but again, against great defenses, yeah. um, Dwayne is just giving them something they haven't had before. 
So I, I think you guys need to realize it was funny to me just reading some coverage um, that's popped up lately. I got to plug my computer in because we're running out of juice. Um, there definitely have been draft analysts and people since the Michigan game who were like, oh, look at Dwayne Haskins now moving up the big board, number one QB. And again, it's like, yeah. He's really good. Yeah. Yes. I understand that not everybody in college football is watching every Ohio State play every week. But yeah. Yeah. Welcome. He's extremely good at his job. Like, where have you been? What did you think he was doing? He was leading the nation in touchdown passes. Did you really think Gardner Minshew was better? Where have you been? In all reality, he had one bad game, and we spent like a whole five-day period going, oh, my God, why is he falling off as a quarterback? But, yeah, he's impressive. He's really good. <laughs> and I just – I think we are at the point where I cannot – the computer – we're going to have to shut down the podcast because I can't get the computer plugged yeah, You're in. really struggling. This is worse than when you were trying to roll the table across yeah. the field. Steven, the more you're around me, you, you, the older I will seem to you. Yeah, but, like, that was bad. Like, come on, man. I'm bad at bending. I'm bending and plugging right now. Bending and plugging is hard. Give me the give me the thing. You plug the thing. This is terrible. Oh, my God. I'm going to be wheezing again. Looks like you are getting a little tired. You going to plug it in? Is it plugged in? Jeffrey Kistner. A theory that I subscribe. There's tangles. Oh, there's okay. tangles. Hold on. Okay. <clears throat> While he does that, Jeffrey Kistner. Jeffrey Kistner. Hi, Doug and Steven. A theory that I described to in 2014 before I was listening to the podcast was that playing at the playing at the t- time number one Alabama would help a young, talented sophomore class to know what is necessary to complete compete for a national championship in the future, even though they would surely lose. Narrator, they didn't. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it in a voice like that. Do you think that could be the case this year, or is Alabama a generational talent that will just feel like they are running running their heads into a brick wall? Curious as to your thoughts on such idea. Thanks, and keep up the awesome coverage. Jeff. So, uh, the, thing won't, the thing's not charging. Is it plugged in? We're losing it. All right. Hold well, on. Hold on. Steven, tell them to hold on. You guys got to hold on for a second. We're having technical difficulties. Oh man, is the is there no juice in the back wall? Sometimes we're McDonald's. Gonna, we're gonna move. We just ran out of juice. Wow. We're going mobile. All right, bear with us. Go, go. So guys, this is this is very awkward. We're having a lot of technical difficulties. Doug's computer is literally on two percent, and that's the thing we're reading your guys' questions off of. So the struggle is real right now. He's hustling over as fast as he can. I'm running. But, like, his joints are, like, oh really God. old, so it's, like, a struggle for him. We have juice. All right. God bless. Okay. We have juice. Okay. So, I, you answer the first part of this thing while I get my bag. Okay. I'm going to say this. With the 2014 comparisons, I think one of the main differences is the fact that regardless of the fact that that, that team was young or old or anything in particular, that team had a lot of NFL talent guys on it in that class alone. And going into that season, a lot of people felt like they were just one year away from becoming the Ohio State team that they actually ended up becoming that season, especially once Je- once Braxton Miller went down with an injury. So I think the comparisons as far as what this team can accomplish compared to what that 2014 team accomplished stop at the fact that the scenarios may end up being the same, but the talent level between those two teams, there's a huge disparity because there's not – five or six first-round draft picks on this team right now. That team had five or six first-round draft picks on it. 
I don't think getting your butt beat by a good team would like ruin this program. No. So they got beat by Clemson, thirty-one nothing in the playoff in two thousand sixteen, and like while that was hard for fans to take, I don't. There wasn't like a hangover for Ohio State the next year. They didn't. You know, they went. They. I, I don't know. I, I, it didn't feel like. Um, it may have. It may have set them back in perception. And perception is mostly us and you, right? Media and fans. I don't think it set them back in any tangible way in recruiting or in the mood of the program or anything like that to get to the playoff and lose to Clemson. You got to the playoff, right? So, I, actually, you know, I've written a lot before the season about trying to compare this this current sophomore class to the sophomore class then. And we've said, you know, that sophomore class made a lot more contributions in year two than these guys have so far, than Okuda and Young and Browning, those guys have. They've been good, but they haven't been Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott. So I think you'd want to take them to Bama. These guys, this the, the, the last players who are part of the, of the national championship team in 2014 are the fifth-year seniors on this team. Paris Campbell, Demetrius Knox, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, guys like that. They're the only ones left who have any breathed any national championship air. So if you can get some of these younger guys to feel it and taste it a little bit, take them to play Bama and say, this is what it takes. This is how good they are. This is how good we need to be. I don't see a downside to that. I do not see it because those guys, here's what they're not going to do. They're not going to go and lose to Bama by 40 and then say, well, we'll never be that good. That is not what a program like this would do. So I think there's, it's why sometimes you remember this, Steven, there are guys, you'll hear stories sometimes of a, a team will win a championship and a losing team. The coach will say, I want you to stay on the court or stay on the field and watch those guys celebrate. There's no such thing as losses. They're only lessons. God, you really are a former player. You've yeah. been, it's been beaten into you, man. Oh, yeah. I've heard that millions and millions of times. I think that's real. Now, you know, we just talked about the playoff. I don't think they're going to get a chance to do it unless Oklahoma loses to Texas. But I just don't see a downside. It might be a downside for fans who are like, man, I don't want to get beaten by Bama, but not for the players. It would only be a downside if the majority of this talent were all fifth-year seniors. But the fact that these guys are sophomores and some of them even freshmen who are who are like Chris Olave, who's already playing, they'll take this and they'll take this in the next. They'll take it into the next year and the year after that. And go, okay, listen, we got our butts beat, but we've seen that now. Sometimes all it takes is for you to see something and, and fail at it, and then you'll start succeeding at it. And I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship next year or the year after that, or even they're the favorite. But sometimes once you failed at something, it gives you an opportunity to see exactly what you did wrong. That's what you exactly need to see. Don't fear it. Don't fear it. Doug Hainum on Gmail. I watched Monday's press conference, and it did not seem to me that our coach was on the verge of quitting. In fact, he seemed to make fun of the idea that he was even thinking about it or that his health was impacting his coaching. Did you get a different vibe in the room? And won't this uncertainty about Urban's future hurt Ohio State's recruiting? So, I thought he's looked pretty good lately. Um, he doesn't want to talk about it. So, he talked about it with four of us in his office a month ago, and that was all he wanted to say about that. Nothing has changed. He needs to address his health issue. It is a serious health issue. I think he's probably feeling better because on a daily basis, he looks better to us. I don't think that when you look at him during the week, you would look at a guy and say, man, that guy's a serious health issue. I think he still has the, the, the things you can see on Saturday on the sidelines at times. 
I wrote about that. I wrote a story on Cleveland.com. You can find it about Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer and their futures. Where do they go from here? We know what he looked like against Maryland, and everybody made a very big deal about that. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. He's not burned out on the job. His head hurts. So that has not changed in the last month. That actually has not changed in the last year, the last 18 months. It's just he finally talked about it a month ago. I think they're doing the best they can with recruiting. I think when you beat Michigan like that, in that stadium, and you had a bunch of kids there, that really helps. Is this a factor? Of course it's a factor. Compared to a completely healthy coach who is guaranteed to be here next year, yes. Ohio State loses that battle, but that's not the only battle, okay? So, you know, the question is like, this is the issue. This is real life stuff. This is a health issue. Are you so, do you think the recruiting hit is so bad that like he has to leave? Even if he could physically do it, do you have to say, well, there's too much recruiting uncertainty, you're gone. That's basically the point they reached with the basketball program in Thad Mata. I do not think we are close to that point with the football program. So I think you should look at Urban Meyer, think he looks pretty decent, feel good about that, understand that, of course, it is not something they would choose, and of course it's something that factors in. It's not the only factor. I don't know what the future holds. I think something has to give. I'll say it again, and I wrote it again. I think he has to either address his health issue in a way to make it better than it is right now, or he has to probably hang it up. I think either could happen, but I will tell you again, he doesn't want to leave. Okay, Anthony Fata. First, your podcast is awesome. Thank you. The college football committee seems to put an emphasis on the team that is hot right now. Um, and he makes a Zoolander reference, which is uh, which is nice. So if it comes down to Ohio you what? You've never, seen, never it? seen it? You're not missing anything. So if it comes down to Ohio State and Oklahoma, isn't Ohio State the hotter of the two? I, you know, I, I don't know, and, and I'll boy, this is a long email. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm just not going to read it right now. Here's why I think if we're going by hotness, here's the hottest thing. They really think Kyler Murray is hot. Yeah. As much as Dwayne, I just I said it again to somebody today. Dwayne Haskins is so cool. Dwayne Haskins just gives off a vibe of a guy who's got it all together. He might be the cockiest quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Love him. So, so today, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Love him. Today I asked him, I'm working on a story for him right now, and one of, I just asked him something, just flat out asked him about the Heisman candidacy. I flat out asked him straight up, Dwayne, do you think that you, with everything that you've accomplished this season, that you should be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy? He looked at me dead in my eyes and went, yeah, as if it was just like a nonchalant thing to talk about. Yeah, yep. sure, I'll get that award too. I'll throw for 5000 He's not, but this is the fact that like that's how he talks. That's how he is. Every day. No doubt in himself, ever. No. Not for one second. To the point that it's like no big deal. Right. Like, yeah, I'm a Heisman fan. He just states facts. Yeah. He states facts, and he doesn't think anybody is better than him. And no. that's how I want my quarterback to be. So, um, but I think if we're talking hotness, though, so Dwayne is cool. Kyler Murray is hot. And if we're talking hot, hotness, this was a very troubling word for Ohio State that Rob Mullins, the committee chairman, used on Tuesday night. On TV, on ESPN, and on the conference call with reporters afterward. He referred to the Oklahoma offense as historic. That's super hot. That is like not just the best now, that's like among the best ever. And that is the way they are viewing Oklahoma. They understand that Oklahoma's defense has a long way to go, but to me, I think you could kind of lump the Oklahoma offense and the Ohio State offense 
in a similar way, right? They're both really, really good. They both put up a ton of yards. They both put up a ton of points. I don't think they do. I think the way they talk about it, and I'm not here to explain it and say, are they right? I'm just telling you what they think. If you try to go down the well too hard of are they right, you'll drive yourself nuts. We're just trying to tell you what the deal is. They view them differently. They view Oklahoma's offense on a different level than Ohio State's offense. So then if you're criticizing both defenses, even if you criticize Oklahoma's defense more, and I think they do, they acknowledge Ohio State's defense played better against Michigan, you are still dealing with an offense on such a high level that is so impressive to them, it wipes out almost everything else. So if you're talking hot, Oklahoma is absolutely hotter than Ohio State in their eyes. Yeah, we're talking about an offense that's got three guys this year who might rush for over 1,000 yards, and Kyle, Kyler Murray is one of them. The other two are running backs. He's really good. Yeah. And he's going to be a Heisman finalist too, and nobody doubts that he's really good. I just I just think that you could love Dwayne. You could love Dwayne just as much. Dwayne is very lovable. I don't think they love Dwayne quite as much as they love Kyler. You know what I love? ShopOhioState.com. Listen to this. Cyber Monday Extended. Free shipping, 30% off all sweats and outerwear. Go there now. Cyber Monday Extended at ShopOhioState.com. The best Ohio State apparel that you will find. Men, women, children, babies, grandmas, grandpas, uncles, aunts. Go buy something for someone you love, or even better, buy something for yourself. Sweats, the sweats on sale is kind of a big deal because sometimes the really nice sweatshirts can, and let's be honest, right? They can be a little pricey. So a 30% off on a sweatshirt, you're talking a big savings. You're talking about uh, a crew sweatshirt, nice gray sweatshirt for a woman, marked down from 50 to 35. That is a big, big savings. Made in Ohio, retro brand, uh, retro brand black hooded sweatshirt, marked down from 55 to 38.48. That is a big savings. Get on shopohiostate.com. It's the website for the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore on 1598 North High Street. I'm telling you, go now. Go this week before this Cyber Monday extension runs out. It's all the outerwear, caps, scarves, that kind of stuff, some really cool stuff. You're going to get some good deals there, but you're really going to save on the sweats. Tops and bottoms, hoodies, no hoodies, vests, lots of really good options. You're talking about like a Nike jacket, a really nice scarlet Nike jacket, 200 bucks, marked down to 140 Get it for mom, get it for dad, get it for yourself, get it for your kids. Go to shopohiostate.com and tell them that Buckeye Talk sent you. All right, before we get back to the conversation with Stephen, we're going to interject the interview I did with Robert Smith of foxsports.com. These, uh, this discussion was before the playoff rankings came out Tuesday night, but still some good perspective on the Michigan win and Ohio State in context. Robert was kind enough to join us from an airport, so there's some background noise there, but it's worth it. Here's Robert Smith of FoxSports.com on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined by Robert Smith of Fox Sports here on, t- on uh, Buckeye Talk. Robert, thank you for your time. I'm sitting here on Tuesday afternoon re-watching this Ohio State game. There's a couple things that stand out to me. I know you, you were, you know working on the game while it was going on. You're covering a lot of stuff in college football, but was there something that, that you really, what stood out to you as you watched, as you watched that game unfold? What was the thing that stood out to you most about what Ohio State did to Michigan? Well, it was a, it was the area that was the biggest concern going in and the way that they performed. I mean, the offensive line was able to handle Michigan most of the day. Uh, the time that uh, Dwayne Haskins had to throw the ball, 
even uh, some of the holes that uh, that they were able to open up. Now, the previous week against Michigan, you could maybe start to see some cracks in the armor uh, against uh, or, or with Michigan. Uh, but based on what we had seen from Ohio State coming into that, at least against the better teams, uh, and even you know some of the teams that they probably should have dominated. I mean. You go all the way back to the Minnesota game, um, you know, and, and even in Nebraska after the bye, until later in the game, much later in the game, they were having some difficulties running the ball without big plays by the running backs. Uh, guys just breaking tackles, getting to the outside. So, for me, that, the dominant performance of the offensive line was the biggest, biggest surprise. I, I think I agree with that, Robert. It's just they, they just almost didn't do anything wrong. They felt they looked connected. They did it in the run game. They were great in pass protection. Um, I think it's hard to figure out this team, Robert, and that's what a lot of people are wondering about now. Do, would you, do you have a read on this? Having played at Ohio State, having watched the Buckeyes all these years, knowing how college football works, do you expect that what we're going to see from Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern is going to be basically what we saw against Michigan? Or do you think there's any possibility we see something more like the Ohio State team that played Nebraska and Purdue and Maryland and Michigan State? Is it possible that this was the rivalry game, that that brought something out of Ohio State that was a little different? Or do you think this was more a team finding itself that can carry this forward? Well, it certainly looked like a team finding itself, but I guess you know, with all the uh, you know all the preconditions that you mentioned, uh, and, and knowing college football and knowing young players uh, in particular, uh, you're never surprised, or you shouldn't really be surprised by any move in any direction. I guess um, you know, but it would, it would really surprise me if we saw them take a step back after that performance. Um, but man, it, it just—it it was just so overwhelming because there were so many times throughout the course of the year where we were expecting something to click on both sides of the ball, and it just hadn't happened. Now, granted, Michigan's not the greatest offense, um, but I, it, it still was impressive to me the way they played on both sides of the ball. Robert, as we look at Michigan. I thought that re-watching this, I thought in the moment there was some play calling, some conservative play calling that did not serve them very well. Rewatching it again now, there were some times you realize where there were maybe some throws there that could have been made that Shea Patterson missed or there were a couple key drops for them. But when you assess Michigan, they have 10 wins, but Jim Harbaugh is 0-4 in this game. Is there anything sort of fundamentally missing with the Michigan program, do you think? Or do you think, you know what, they're a pretty good program. They've just had some tough luck and some tough games against Ohio State, but they'll be fine. Or do you think Michigan needs to reassess something? Uh, it doesn't seem that they need to reassess anything. I think there's still a talent gap. Um, and when you look at the speed in particular, uh, that Ohio State has across the board. I mean, I think back to three or four years ago uh, where we were wondering, you know, would Ohio State be able to find receivers, uh, you know, having some problems, you know, getting getting elite talent at that position and now absolutely loaded with it. So, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's possible that Michigan could do the same thing. Maybe it's just a, a philosophical difference in the way that they've been recruiting and, 
uh, you know, trying to build up that defense for so many years in particular and, and not finding uh, some of the elite talent uh, offensively that, you know, we've seen across college football that, you know, there's been kind of a fundamental shift in the way that teams are, are constructed now uh, to go with the uh, type of offenses that are almost required to be able to compete even yep. against the team, you know, teams like Alabama and Georgia, uh, we saw the same thing, and, and maybe Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are, are just a little bit behind there. Robert, overall, the Big Ten this year, and particularly the Big Ten East, a lot of people thought coming in that the Big Ten was really strong. A lot of talk that the Big Ten East was the best division in college football this year. With what happened to Michigan State, I know Wisconsin's in the West, but what happened to Wisconsin, you know, Penn State was good, but, you know, did you think that the Big Ten live up to maybe expectations? And, and how do you think the Big Ten overall should be viewed? And I don't know how much that might affect the playoff discussion, but just what did you think of the Big Ten season overall? Um, I, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, the hype about the Big Ten East was overdone uh, coming into the year. Um, I mean, based on the results that we saw uh, out of conference, um, you know, with, yep. uh, with Michigan State losing to Arizona State, of course, you know, Michigan losing uh, to Notre Dame. Now, you know, do, do you reassess the Ohio State game against TCU uh, based on what you saw from TCU later in the year? You know, do you make some, you know, make some accounting of the fact that Kamonte Turpin wasn't with the team later in the year? Yep. Obviously a, a, a big, uh, a big weapon for them. Uh, you know, maybe it, and, and the improvements of Ohio State and, and knowing that they're young secondary, but Ohio State's just different. I mean, Ohio State's recruiting and, and talent level is just so much different. Uh, Penn State was a, a bit of a disappointment, maybe more of a drop off than we thought because of what they lost defensively. Um, so I think overall, probably a bit of a disappointment. It, it's hard for me to say kind of overall what it's going to be. Uh, Wisconsin was a, a bigger drop off than a lot of people expected. A lot of people expected. I mean, I, I I knew that there would be a drop off, and I I certainly didn't have them picked to be a playoff team. Good, me uh, neither. The, I'm sorry. I said me neither. I thought they were overrated for the people who were talking about Wisconsin as a playoff team before the year. Yeah, and uh, you know, but even there, like you know, with Jonathan Taylor and that that offensive line, you know, even with subpar quarterback play I thought that they would be better than they were yeah um so I think overall probably you know a, a, a disappointment um you know for the conference in general but uh you know a lot of a lot of turnover in a lot of places and uh you know maybe some some performances early in the year that maybe weren't indicative of the of, of what teams were as they improved I mean Northwestern Clayton Dorson getting healthier at the end of the year Nebraska playing much better once Adrian Martinez got healthy and, you know, there were some close losses for them at the beginning of the year. So maybe a, a little bit better performance out of a couple of teams, but I think overall probably more because of uh, the way that the Big Ten East at least doesn't look dominant, uh, that uh, probably overrated in general overall. Robert, your experience, I, I wanted to ask you questions because I respect your knowledge as a college football analyst, but I also want to get a little bit of the Buckeye stuff in here just because, you know, I I watch college football. I didn't play for Ohio State. So when you, the idea, we had a debate on the podcast last week, me and my co-host, 
of of how much of that what Michigan did on Saturday was psychological were they tight is is did 13 out of 14 and now 14 out of 15 is that getting to them somehow and I just thought it was more lack of creativity and offensive play calling the speed they couldn't cover these guys on crossing routes I thought it was more football stuff than it was psychological you know the game though you know the rivalry when you watch that result for Ohio State Michigan do you think there's a psychological component for Michigan right now that is making it harder for them to win um, no I wouldn't say that and you know we hit on this earlier I guess you know the the biggest difference that I can see is you know the, the level of some of the athletes um uh, for Ohio State uh, over Michigan, and that's a recruiting thing, and some okay. of it's a, a philosophical uh, approach to the game. Um, you know, you, you look at you look at what what Michigan had a couple of years back as well. You know, you had some elite talent at the cornerback position. Um, you know, with Peppers and company yep. you know, in, in the secondary, and you have a couple of misses in recruiting there to go with. Uh, a, 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 you know, a, a rise in the level of performance uh, from Ohio State at the same position, you know, which you yep. saw with Watson going on in that game. I mean, you know, that, you know, that, that was his same, right? The, the corner there. Yep. I, I, yeah. I, picked I, on I, all game. Yep. 28. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he got, he got burned on, on, on a number of plays, but I think all across the board, it was, uh, you know, you can see that the, you know, the level of talent, especially on the back end of that, um, uh, of that Michigan defense couldn't keep up with Ohio State. I just thought that, again, going into the game, that the mismatch up front would never allow Ohio State uh, to take advantage of the advantage that they had on the outside. Completely agree, and I'll let you go with this one, Robert. Just how do you wrap your head around seven straight and 14 out of 15? Is that how do you how do we explain that and we know and i've been here 14 years now you know the helicopter catch from anthony gonzalez in 2005 the spot game in 2016 2013 tyvis powell intercepts the two-point conversion it's not like michigan hasn't been close some years they weren't as close this year as they were in many other years but it's just hard to figure 14 out of 15 isn't it it, it really is i mean and for and for you know the the dominant performances you know, to go along with, like you said, some games where, you know, it could have gone either way, but yep. 14 out of 15, I mean, in the one year they win, I mean, it's Luke's first year coaching, right? Yep. I mean, like, it's uh, it's hard to believe, but, you know, as a, as a guy that went 0-1-1 against Michigan and someone that understands the importance of the rivalry, rivalry to the legacy of the players in particular, and and what it means to the fans, like I, I couldn't be happier about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to tell you the truth, I mean, it's just it's it's kind of fun to see. Um, and and you know, we know that things change, times change, and uh, you know the level of recruiting sometimes goes up and down. But I think you know what what we've been seeing here recently, seven straight. I mean, it speaks to you know, what, uh, what Urban's been able to do, not just from a coaching perspective and a development perspective, but from a recruiting perspective. He's just, he's brought something completely different. Robert Smith from Fox Sports, former Buckeye, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy. We appreciate you joining us here on Buckeye Talk. You got it. All right. Let's get to some more Gmail questions before we get to the Twitter questions. Um, this is a good one. Okay. Taylor Clawson, this is a good Dwayne question. This is going to be speculative quarterback stuff, which we have learned Stephen Means doesn't like. 
The no. speculative. We don't. He doesn't like to tear down people to build up others. No. Me personally, I have no problem with that. Uh, with the understanding that Dwayne Haskins has almost certainly gone to the NFL draft after the season, he's gone. Would you <laughs> rather have one more year of Dwayne, with the caveat that Tate Marcel, Martell decides to transfer, and your backup quarterbacks are Matthew Baldwin and Chug, uh, Dwayne Mathis and uh, Corey Curtis, or would you rather have two to three years of Tate starting next year? So, what's your choice? So, if Dwayne goes. Um, Tate will be a redshirt sophomore next year, so you might get two years out of him. I don't know that you're going to get five years out of Tate, but you might get at least two years out of Tate, right? I th- I've said this before. I think you're not getting both back next year. If Dwayne stays, Tate goes. If Dwayne goes, Tate stays. Would you rather have one more year of Dwayne or two or three more years of Tate? That's actually a really good question. I'd rather get one more year of Dwayne because he's a better quarterback. Um, but the more reasonable option is getting two to three years of Tate Martell. That's probably what's going to happen, but I would not be complaining if we got Dwayne Haskins for another season. Dwayne, not close, and you're not getting it. Yeah, so... You're not getting it. Look, like... I mean, Dwayne Haskins is special. This is nothing against Tate Martell. I think Tate Martell is going to be good. He's better for what Meyer wants to do naturally, but Dwayne Haskins is... Is amazing. And I've been working on a story on this. I was going to write it Michigan Weekend. I ran out of time, and I'm hopefully going to write it for Wednesday morning. Who knows? But I've talked to a lot of people about this, and it's about Ohio State and Dwayne Haskins finding a way to accentuate his skills in this offense. And here we are, 12 games in, and Steven, I think they've done it. I think it has been an arduous process. I asked Ryan Day about it on Tuesday night. It has been a sometimes arduous process that even as he was putting up huge numbers, you could tell the offense wasn't completely in sync. Mm-hmm. I think it's in sync now, and now they did the hard work of figuring this out. If he somehow came back, which he's not going to do, if he came back and they knew exactly what he was. Now, listen, he'd have receivers to break in. He's not going to have these veteran guys. If they knew exactly how this was going to work, I don't. I, I, there'd be no kinks. They would start next year with where they are now. So, of course, you would take that back because you don't know what that would look like. It would be even better than this. He'd have unbreakable records. Literally. Unbreakable records. He might have unbreakable records now, but but he would do things not just at an Ohio State level, but I think at an NCAA level. For real. I think you're right. Yeah, like he unbreak. That's what I mean by unbreakable. The records he has right now are great, but it's really, realistically, if everything goes the way Ohio State would want them to go, they're going to play. Three more games. They're going to play a Big Ten championship, a semifinal, and a national championship game. Right. If everything goes as planned. If they have everything figured out from day one, from spring football going into week one, those records are going to be literally unbreakable at all three levels, whether it's Ohio State, Big Ten, or NCAA level. But you're not getting it. No. This is more of an off-season question, but how would weekly coach press conferences change if reporters were able to ask questions about specific recruits? Um all we would talk about is recruiting. <laughs> we ask questions about specific recruits. And because and, here's the thing, and and we really started this at Cleveland.com um, when Ari Wasserman was here, and we when we started in 2013, we we put a, a true journalist on the recruiting beat, and Ari did a fantastic job with it. And he was in there every week. We would we would scheme up what's he going to talk about, and and Ari and Bill and I would come up with ideas and talk about recruiting trends and our Ohio State's recruiting strategies. 
And Ari would ask these recruiting strategy questions that you don't have to ask about kids, but you ask about why they're going in a certain state or the timing of recruiting or the type of player you're looking for. And I will tell you this, Urban Meyer loved it. Every week he was into that answer. And if we could actually talk about players, Urban Meyer never gets tired of talking about recruiting. If he could talk about that more, he would talk about it all day. He would never stop and we would never stop because you know why? You guys would never get tired of it. You love recruiting. Shelby Goldman. Hey, Doug and Steven. Love the pod. Great stuff. Questions, probably goofy ones. It doesn't sound like the committee is cutting Ohio State any slack on the Bosa injury. It's got to factor some in the rankings, right? Offenses game planned around him. And I understand Gene Smith has to leave the room when the committee discusses Ohio State. But overall, what's your take on his involvement in these things? Does his presence help or hurt the Buckeyes? I wrote this last year. We won't, we won't delve into this too much. I want to get to some Michigan stuff. Um, hurts him. I think Barry Alvarez was the big, I, I don't think this, Barry Alvarez was the Big Ten rep in 2014, and I think Barry Alvarez helped Ohio State get in the playoff in 2014. Barry Alvarez is a loud voice, former Wisconsin coach, current AD, loud voice, respected voice, and when they talked about Ohio State, he didn't have to leave. Now, when they talk about Ohio State, Gene Smith has to leave. If the AD was any other school in the Big Ten, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, that AD could stay in there and stump for Ohio State. That's gone. Now, the mitigating factor is that Oklahoma's athletic director is also on the committee, and I wrote this last year again. It's stupid. The committee should be filled with ADs from terrible football programs. The idea that the best, the ADs from the best programs in the country, Clemson's AD isn't on now. He was on the previous two years, I think. He was on for a while. The idea that the ADs from the best programs in the country are on the committee and then they're having to leave the room for the most important discussion. If both Ohio State and Oklahoma win, the absolute most important discussion after the championship games before they announce the rankings at noon on Sunday will center around one single thing, Ohio State or Oklahoma. And And, those guys will have somebody in there who can vouch for them. and, And so... A, the whole point is you have an AD from every conference to spread it out. So you're removing the ADs from both those conferences. The other thing is the whole point of having a 13-member committee is because you don't want five people deciding this. You want more voices. You're taking two out. You're taking 20% of your committee or whatever it is, 18% of your committee out of the room because guess what? Ohio State and Oklahoma are good. Wow, who couldn't see that coming? I think it is insane. I think Gene Smith – because Gene Smith can't help them. No. By rule, he can't help. So all that means is is he can hurt by not being able to help. So I don't think he should be on it. I get that it's fun. I get that it's prestigious. No offense to Gene. You shouldn't be on it. You shouldn't be on it, and the committee needs to come up with something other than, hey, the best football programs in the country send us your ADs. Terrible. I think, it'd be, I think it should be whoever finishes last. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. Get the Rutgers AD in there. Yeah. The Rutgers AD could just move to Texas, move to Grapevine, Texas, and yeah. move into that hotel where the conference room yeah. is. You'd never have to leave. Okay, let's get to um, oh Joey D. We're going to little, talk some more game stuff. Notice Dante Booker got some play in the first half, maybe even started. He didn't start. Had a couple really good plays, <laughs> filling holes and tackling well. Then they took him out. Not sure why they haven't given the guy a chance. He's looking every time he's in there. Maybe just threw him a bone for senior day. So I wrote a big Dante Booker story that went up on Senior Day morning, so some people might have missed it. I would encourage you to go read it. I talked to his dad. I talked to other people about Dante Booker. I love Dante Booker. I don't know why he hasn't played more. 
He's been healthy this year. He's been frustrated this year. He has not complained about it. He has gotten a couple series. He did not play at all against Maryland, and that was a little concerning. But he had played a couple series against Michigan State, had played a couple series against Nebraska. They had worked him in for Pete Warner. I think it's smart. They've rotated linebackers in the past. They got him in. He made a tackle his first play in. Um, they're not playing him a lot. I think he should play some. I think he can absolutely help them against Northwestern. I think he can help them rest of the year in certain situations. When he comes in, he comes in for Pete Warner. Pete Warner's playing better. Pete Warner made the play of the game, knocking the ball out on the end zone pass that would have put Michigan ahead 10-7. Instead, he knocked out that pass, that uh, catch on third down, and Michigan had to kick a field goal, so it was only 7-6. So credit to Pete Warner. I, I, I was gushing over Pete Warner to his face at interviews on Tuesday, talking about that play and how much better he's been playing. I think Dante Booker could and should have a role on this team. And I think people need to recognize him as the only real senior on this defense who has been a good soldier through a very trying career. I love him. I love Dante Booker. What can I say? I have respect for a guy. I have a respect for a guy. He waited his bided his time, played special teams for two years. He won a starting job as a junior. The very first game he played as a starter, he got hurt for the year. And he didn't leave. He didn't leave. And he stayed. I have a lot of respect for that. I got a lot of respect for guys who handle their business. Can I tell a story about crying? Um, about crying? Yeah, I was crying. Why? Okay. So I almost cried today. I get. I feel the welling of emotion. How are you an emotional person, Stephen? No. No. Not even in the slightest. Like how many times? How many times a week do you cry? I couldn't tell you last time <laughs> I actually cried. Like I cry probably, every, not every day. But do I cry every day? Every day. I, I mean, get, that's good for you. I get okay. choked up about things almost every day. No. I get choked up like at the grocery store. Like you see a family, you see a nice family, I get choked up. You watch mm. a thing on TV, you see like injustice in the world, I get choked up. No. So I, on, on Tuesday, this is what I did with my, with my Tuesday. I was watching, rewatching the Ohio State-Michigan game and offensive line play made me choke up. Is that not normal? What's wrong with I mean, offensive it, line play? I mean, if it's normal for you, that's fine. But like, you know. It was very emotional offensive line play. I'm not, you know. I'm not really in touch with my feelings like that. I'm I'm so in touch with I'm gonna get in touch with your feelings. I'm so in touch with my feelings. Okay. Get your feelings out. Okay. Because I'm gonna touch them. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. I just like to say funny stuff. Okay, so uh, people are sending us crazy tweets about everyone's fired up about the rankings. I don't know what to tell you. So I did a Twitter thread about this. It was the end of the first half. It was the uh, um, the last drive. I think the drive that led to the field goal. Uh, when they got the ball back with like 45 seconds left. And it was just, you can go read my Twitter thread. thread. You can follow us on Twitter at Doug Maurice and at Steven underscore means. It was just Isaiah Prince and Demetrius Knox, who are two seniors who've had tough times, picking each other up. I thought the offensive line played unbelievably well and unbelievably connected. Unbelievably connected. The entire game against Michigan. They picked up every blitzer. They pass guys off to each other. Hey, I'm starting to block this guy. Hey, here comes the splitzer. I'm going to take him. You take my guy. Sure thing, brother. I got you. Unbelievable the whole game. I don't think they missed it once. The one time a guy got beat one-on-one, Dwayne Haskins scrambled up the middle and picked him up. Quarterback and offensive line working in concert. And to me, to, I watched uh, Demetrius Knox got beat on a play. Right guard got beat. Pressure in Dwayne Haskins' face. He gets rid of it. So he doesn't get hit. He picks up his right guard by getting rid of it quick. Next play, Isaiah Prince, the right tackle, gets beat. Demetrius Knox, who just got beat the play before, dives at Chase Winovich after Winovich beats Isaiah Prince. 
and gets enough of a piece of Winovich to keep him off Dwayne Haskins to let Dwayne Haskins make a throw. So the play after Demetrius Knox makes a mistake, he picks up his teammate. I think Isaiah Prince can get emotional during a game. I think he can lose himself in a game sometimes. When things go wrong, I think he can go south. He got beat, but instead of his quarterback getting sacked by Chase Winovich sticking his helmet in his chest, Demetrius Knox picks him up. The next two plays, the entire offensive line stones everybody. Isaiah Prince stood up Chase Winovich. Chase Winovich couldn't have gotten past him if he had 15 minutes to do it. And I think Chase... Chase Winovich couldn't get past him because Isaiah Prince was saved by Demetrius Knox and it allowed him to keep his confidence and do his job. And those guys, as seniors who have been criticized, who have not played well at times this year, helped each other out, stayed connected, blocked the best defense in the country, gave their quarterback time, and won the game. Urban Meyer said it after the game. I wrote it after the game. They won the game. But until I rewatched it, I did not realize the way they played together. I thought it was an extraordinary show of smarts, and I'll tell you this, this is part of it. They knew where the blitzes were coming from. And that's because of film study. That's because of coaching. That's a credit to the offensive staff, to Greg Stadrawa, to Ryan Day, to Kevin Wilson. They had this line 100% ready. Those guys put in the work. They knew where every single blitz was coming from. They had complete confidence in themselves on that field. Ryan Day knew what Don Brown, the Michigan defensive coordinator, was going to do. And he told his guys, this is what they're going to do. And Ohio State blocked it up and find, found ways to win. I just thought it was extraordinary. And I honestly, watching Demetrius Knox and Isaiah Prince pick each other up, I got a little verklempt. I, got, I just got a little something. It's just I got a little because I just know they've worked hard. And when they had their chance, and then Demetrius Knox's career is over. His career is over. I, that did that kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie. For you to, get, to have a, pretty much a career-ending injury, in the fourth quarter of a game where really you didn't it didn't have to happen of your senior day. Yep. So, you know. But I'll tell you this. I emotional, but, you know. th- this is the reality. He went out on top. Yeah. He went out with a win with a 62 to 39 win over Michigan. He went out and he went out with a win that he contributed to in a major way and he contributed to it by working with his brothers in concert against that defense. And I just thought it was extraordinary, and I think they deserve an extraordinary amount of credit for that. It sounds like something they would say would say to us if we asked them a question about it. I tried to ask them a question about it, and Isaiah Prince kind of brushed it off. Isaiah Prince was kind of like, I'm on to the next game, I'm doing my job. And I was like, <laughs> but Isaiah, it was so emotional. You guys made a block, and it made me cry. And he was like, don't talk to me. Um, that's a paraphrasing, but... That's what he said. That's, <laughs> that's usually how things work with me. I... I, I, I much of my question asking is me shouting at someone saying, this is what I think. I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, and then no, he'll go, <laughs> hey, I'm going to talk to you for two minutes, and then you're just going to respond back. Yeah. You agree with me, right? That's my question. <laughs> yeah. And then when they don't agree, I get it. Um, Seth Shaner, one-time co-host of Buckeye Talk, Shaner Baum, filled in before we got Steven here. When we sat down at the library, that's where we did the podcast that day. Now we're doing it at McDonald's. Again, just to repeat, we are in a McDonald's with two other groups of people in booths. Steven's like practically asleep. No, He's I'm lying just, down. I just don't have like this project voice, so I'm just getting as close oh, good. to the mic oh, as that's possible. What it is. His chin is literally on the table. Yeah. I scream, so I'm fine. Yeah, I don't want to crouch down until I hurt my back. See, you're old. No, I'm just smart. 
<laughs> so I am old. My back is fine. You're young and smart. I'm old and dumb. All right. Seth Shaner. When we sat down at the library and talked, we discussed the need for a Martell package, but also that Haskins wouldn't like losing snaps to it. Is there something to that? And is that the reason he has been willing to run more? Is that what you think, Stephen? Did the Martell package, the threat of the Martell package, snap Dwayne Haskins into the run game? I think it played a role. I don't think I'll ever admit that that played a role, but it's definitely a situation where he's even said, well, if he's on the field, then I'm not on the field, regardless of what he's doing on the field and what I'm doing on the field. If there's somebody else under center, that means there's another guy who's not under center. And I think deep down he understood the reason why they were bringing Tate Martell out there. They weren't bringing him out there to throw the ball. They were bringing him out there so he could be a threat in the run game, whether he actually ran the ball or not, which is why Haskins comes in after the Michigan game and says, I wanted to run the ball the very first play to set a precedent that, hey, I will take off. Whether now, whether that actually set any precedent or if it didn't, but it was the fact that he understood that the reason they were bringing Martell into the game is because, hey, I have this part of my game that not only am I not willing to do, I can't do it. So let me try to put some type of effort into it, and that way I don't have to come off the field at all. So, yeah, there is a part of him mentally that probably thought about the fact that, I don't want to come off the field, so let me do the thing that they want Martell to do anyway. I agree. I think it worked. Um, I will also say, and I'm just trying to, I just have to, I like to keep it real. I like to be completely honest, and I like to take you into our world. And right now, again, our world is McDonald's. I was having this discussion with Bill Landis. I said I thought that Dwayne's running is still overrated. I did not think that I saw in the rewatch a lot of plays where the Michigan defense was affected by Dwayne running. He ran, I guess he ran, he had two good runs, including the first play of the game and then another one um, where he kept it on his own read and he got like nine yards out of it. But I didn't feel like, because the main thing of that is just keeping the defense on its toes, you know, helping open things up for the running back. I felt like I didn't necessarily feel like when I was watching the Gibbs, when Dwayne was giving it to the running back, I still thought I saw a defense crashing on the running backs and anticipating that and not being that scared of Dwayne. Um, Bill Landis said he thought he saw at least two or three times where they did react in a way that the end crashed down a little more slowly um, and that it was opening lanes for the running back. So I'll, maybe I'll go and watch again. That, to me, is the point. And I thought the best run Dwayne had was, again, when the one time when they got beat by pressure and he scrambled. And Ryan Day mentioned the scramble tonight. I think the scrambles are more important than yeah. the zone reads. And the fact that that offensive line kept him clean the whole game but maybe the one or two times when they let somebody through he didn't just chuck the ball to the sideline or he didn't take like a sack he made a positive play out of it i thought that is extraordinarily important and when we talk running with Dwayne haskins that's what i'm most interested in much less interested in the zone read much more interested in his scrambling i think that's where they wanted to get him to he's like tate martell is, is clearly the better runner Especially within a zone read and RPOs and all that other stuff. I think with Haskins, where his growth needed to come in and was when a play breaks down, can you go get three or four or five, six yards with your legs? I don't think there was ever going to be a situation where they were just going to run zone read after zone read after zone read and an RPO and an RPO. They actually took it out yep. completely at one point. I think that's where it is with him. It's not necessarily hey, in these designed QB runs, can you go get us seven to eight yards every time we run one of these? I think it's more of that. Okay, the line did a great job. Every so so often, someone is going to get through an offensive line. It's just part of football. Can you make something positive out of that? I think that's that's what I think 
him starting off the game running did more than anything else is set a precedent. Hey, if things break down, I'll come out of this pocket and get six or seven yards. I think I think that's I think that scrambling matters because you can't yeah. have it be even on a day when the offensive line played so 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 well. You can't have it be that every time they make a mistake, it's a sack. Yeah. The quarterback has to pick them up sometimes, and he has done that a lot by getting rid of the ball. He is really good at getting rid of the ball, but the best quarterbacks, they don't just turn negatives into nothing. They turn negatives into positives. They're like, hey, you did get great pressure on that play. You brought a blitzer or you won a one-on-one matchup, and guess what? I'm we not st- here anymore. We still got eight yards. <laughs> we still won that play, even though you won that battle. We won the war on that play, and I thought that, for Dwayne to show that even a bit, I think is a good sign of, of again, that that offensive line and that quarterback being connected. They can't make Dwayne run 30 times a game because they're getting beat, but every now and then he, he has, showed it. Yeah, if he has to leave the pocket four or five times a game, that's solid. Yes. Uh, I would just like to say that Chase Richardson's significant other and my significant other had a Twitter exchange about how Chase Richardson and I are dumb and wrong all the time. So Aww. that's my life. Uh, I want to get this out of the way very, very, very quickly because it is my least favorite sports writer topic. At Roser2688, Reggie Allen Rose, (laughs) are you rooting for Northwestern this weekend? If I recall, you're a Northwestern alum. My response, am an alum, I don't root, I cover. You can't root for things when you cover them. Reggie Allen Rose, haha, come on now, you're human, gotta lean one way a little. Me, I'm not human, I'm a sports writer. I get paid the same no matter what happens. I I lean toward interesting story, but I swear I don't root. Yes, I went to Northwestern. Yes, the program that I am paid to cover is playing the football program from the school that I went to. I did not play football there. So, I don't know what to tell you. I don't care who wins. Would you, if we, if Ohio State hadn't beat Michigan, would you get a little fandom in you? No. Really? I, I would not. Even if it was just like Ohio State just wasn't involved. Whatsoever. No, I might have taken my daughter to the game. Here's what I might have done. I think okay. my daughter and I are probably going to go to the game because um, she really likes football. And, okay. she, and when Ohio State plays, she doesn't get to go with me because right. I'm covering the game. We went to the Wisconsin-Penn uh, State championship game in 2016 and had a really good time just hanging out and watching football together. Mm. I think we would have gone and watched football, and I probably would have seen some of my friends. See, that's fine. Uh, but I, but during the game, like, I would not No, you care. wouldn't be, like, the guy with a beard in the hand with no. a Northwestern shirt going, yeah! And, and I know that sports writing has changed a lot, but to a, most, to basically, like, being a sports writer has beaten the fan out of me. Now, I appreciate good games. I appreciate great performances and great athletes and, and interesting stories and interesting outcomes. But I don't care who wins. I don't care about the Browns or the Cavs or Ohio State or Northwestern or I grew up near – I grew up in Pennsylvania. I don't care about any of the Philadelphia teams anymore. That part of me is dead. And I know that in the new brand of sports writing, that's – there's a new way for fan for it's sports depressing. writers to still be fans. But it's not. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't actually depress me at all. Like I enjoy watching a good sporting event, but I don't have any part of me tied up in it. So like no matter what happens, I'm not like mad or sad or happy or whatever. I'm just interested. And I'm okay with that. I like movies. Um, <laughs> I told Mark Roberts that we would hit this uh, question hard because I thought it was really good. And I wanted to get into this point. Mark Roberts at Mark44Roberts. Michigan fans are saying hairball. Yeah, you spoke. <laughs> he called Harbaugh hairball. Okay. 
failed to attack, was uber conservative, etc. In other words, we weren't great and they should have won if correct play calling. Any truth to this? Were we that good or are they that bad? Also, the future for hairball NFL calling. So I think I will tell you that Mary Kay Cabot, our Browns writer, believes that Harbaugh still remains a legitimate NFL candidate. Um, I don't know anything beyond that. My speculation is no better than your speculation. Having rewatched the game, and I was all fired up today because I rewatched the first three quarters and then I had to go work. But, well, part it is work. I was working. I was watching the game. I thought they were really poorly conservative a lot of times. There were times where um, they ran up the middle on second and long, and I don't know why. Uh, they did not get Shea Patterson out of the pocket. They did not run Shea Patterson in the zone read enough. I thought immediately after the game, the play calling was kind of awful. And then having rewatched it today, I thought it was slightly less awful, and there were opportunities missed by Shea Patterson in the throw game, by missing a couple receivers, and by guys dropping a couple passes. But I still think the play calling is a lot of it, and I do think this is the important point going forward. And I wrote all kinds of stuff down because I was just going to go through the whole game and like read my notes about the game to you guys because how fun would that be? Um, there is a component of the defensive performance from Ohio State in a game where they gave up 39. There is a component of that that was Michigan mistakes. And I do think you have to keep that in mind. I do think if your initial reaction to that game in a world where Chase Young got some individual pressure at very critical times where Pete Warner made the play of the game by punching that ball out and saving a touchdown, um, I thought the linebackers were able to play with the game in front of them. They weren't up at the line as much. They were reading and reacting and diagnosing. I talked to Pete Werner about that. He agreed with that. We've talked all year. Early in the season, they were up at the line too much. This time they were back a little bit. They were attacking the run game at times, but I thought they were much better able to react to where the gaps were they needed to fill, and they filled the correct gaps much more fluidly on Saturday than they had at any point. And Greg Schiano all year had talked about, well, we wanted the linebackers up there because when you put linebackers up in the gaps at the line of scrimmage, you get double teams off the defensive linemen. I will tell you this. There were many times on Saturday where they got three and four man pressure and those linemen were double teamed and they got there anyway. Devon Hamilton did that. B.B. Landers did that. Draymond Jones did that. Chase Young did that. They beat double teams. They did not need the linebackers help. So the idea that this defense for more than half the year was putting linebackers out of position at the line of scrimmage to help defensive linemen who didn't need the help. And in the meantime, teams were killing the linebackers by throwing over them inexcusable. That was wrong. It did not work. Greg Schiano admitted it didn't work. That's why they changed. They were so far removed from that on Saturday. They weren't close to that idea and they played really, really well. However, Michigan did not stress the linebackers. I said it after the game on the rewatch. I say it even more. The linebackers had everything in front of them. They very seldom had to run to the sideline to tackle. They never had to worry about Michigan throwing over their head over the middle. Terrible game plan by them to not try to attack the middle of the field. Part of it is those linebackers were deep enough, seven, eight, nine yards from the line of scrimmage, where they're clogging up passing lanes they weren't clogging up against Purdue. If Ohio State had played this defensive alignment against Purdue, they would have been much more effective. They would not have given up 49. This is what they should have done against Purdue. They had started to do this a little bit, but they still didn't do it enough. But I'm going to tell you, there still were enough moments where it was not great defense. It was Michigan mistakes with poor play calling that they ran right in the arms of running backs up the middle, or they had some stuff and Shea Patterson missed or a receiver or tight end dropped the ball. Don't get cocky about this defense is what I'm telling you. It was much better. It was far from perfect. Ohio State played its best game defensively. With that being said, Michigan 
didn't play the way I think anybody in the country expected him to play in that game whatsoever. And we talked about this in the podcast after the game, how a lot of the times in the first half, they were running plays that seemed like they were just setting things up for the second half. And they kind of and they kept going to those things in the second half and really never deferred from it. So I think as much as this is the job Ohio State, it's Michigan, what the heck happened to you guys over that seven week, seven day week where this is the game plan you came into? Pretty much a game plan that nobody expected you to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you have to hold them uh, accountable on that kind of thing. And again, I just it's just a reminder that was not a perfect defensive game. It was a good defensive game against an offense that couldn't get much going. Um, hey, you guys want to go to the Big Ten Championship game? Might be fun, right? Who wants to go to the Big Ten Championship game? Well, Doug and Steven, you say, how can I get there? Here's how you can get there. You go right now to MinutemanTickets.com. What are we looking at? We're looking at groups of, of two and four and even more tickets. You got a big group you want to go? Let's go. How about 78 bucks a pop? How about 71 bucks a pop? Bunch of tickets, 85 bucks a pop. So many tickets under $100. Go to this game. Indy is a great place to host events like this. You will have a good time. Good chain restaurants. Love chain restaurants. What do you think about chain restaurants? You're good, right? I mean, I don't have a problem with them. Would you rather go to a chain restaurant or a nice local place? local because then like you'll never get it again yeah but the thing about chain restaurants is good apps right but then you can go home and have that exact same appetizer while if you go to somewhere that's local it's like man i remember when i went to such and such city and we went to such and such restaurant that was awesome yeah but the southwestern egg rolls at chili's are really good you just like chilies. What about P.F. Chang's? They have a P.F. Chang's in downtown Indy. Go there. They have a P.F. Chang's in Columbus. Yeah, but they also have one in Indy. <laughs> so this weekend, you guys should go to this game. Go to the P.F. Chang's in Indianapolis. We'll get P.F. Chang's to sponsor eventually. But you go to MinutemanTickets.com. They will take care of you. They have so many options. It'll blow your mind. Get to this game. It's going to be a fun, interesting game. It matters to Ohio State. It's cheaper than going to a regular season Ohio State game. And it's a good opponent. It's a good atmosphere. It's a fun weekend. MinuteManTickets.com. They are local. They are Columbus-based. They have great stuff for theater and concerts, but this is their go-to stuff, taking care of sports fans for the events they want to go to. If you want to go, if you're thinking about it, take the plunge. We've been telling you all year, take the plunge. Go to a game. This is going to cost you much less than the Michigan game would have cost you. Which is interesting. Well, the Michi- I mean, it's just the Michigan Well, not tickets. the Michigan game, but just like child. in general, that a championship game. It's because it's so big. It's true. And um, I, I don't know what they – I mean, they, the Big Ten's been selling tickets all year, but but I don't know what's still there. Here's what I know. How about this? VIP pregame, all-star admission, 81 bucks each. Okay? MinutemanTickets.com will take care of you guys. MinutemanTickets.com. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Okay, we'll do a little more here. Um People are asking about what we think for, like, who's going to go pro. I will direct you to Cleveland.com. The headline is something like 10 Ohio State underclassmen who might be playing their final home game. I wrote it before the Michigan game. Uh, Go there, okay? Um, You know what? I think this is a – there's some playoff stuff I know you guys have questions about. Um, I just just can't – there's a lot of rankings questions, and I just can't – explain too much if someone's asking jay alexander's is asking midwest ky midwest the ky mind what midwest i don't know 
Like, could Notre Dame be left out? I know you can go find, like, a thing where there's numbers crunching that would show you that maybe Oklahoma and Ohio State could make it. They're not going to let Notre Dame go undefeated and leave them out. Not while they're in right now. I just, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just, I, 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 they're not in the conference, but I just think it's, it would be too weird. Listen, the end of the day is this. Notre Dame, Clemson, and Alabama are in unless they lose. And even if Alabama loses, they're going, going to get in. The race is down to Oklahoma and Ohio State. And right now, Oklahoma is looking at the finish line. Uh, WDK Cards. This is a great, great beginning to a question. At the risk of Stephen calling me drunk again. This is <laughs> who do you think Alabama fans are hoping gets the four spot? Their defense has been questionable at times, and the best offense they've played so far might be Missouri. So I could reasonably see Tide fans being concerned about either team. That's a good question. Actually, you're not drunk on that one. So um, here's the thing. We'll, we probably, the way I'm going to do this, I think I forgot to mention it earlier. I was going to mention it. What should we do? I'm going to have dropped the Robert Smith interview into this podcast already. Robert Smith from Fox Sports. That's you're gonna. You already listened to that. You don't know it, but I mean, you do know it. I'm just realizing it. That's pre-recorded. You already listened to it. We're gonna get to Ralph Russo from the Associated Press very soon. Ralph Russo digs in on this question, and he, I'll tell you, his answer is Oklahoma. He thinks Oklahoma would be even more dangerous to Alabama. Although I contend Dwayne Haskins would also be dangerous to Alabama. We don't have to be Alabama experts, but do you think, Stephen, that Dwayne Haskins could get something done against Alabama? I might go – I might be – I think I'm going to go Oklahoma too, to be honest with you. I, you've made a great point over the last couple of weeks. Haskins being a thrower first is a huge kryptonite when it comes to Alabama. We saw it with Car- Cardell Jones when they played Alabama and how lethal his arm was against a defense like that. But Kyler Murray – no, he's not Haskins. and No, one, no, 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 no. He is not Haskins, but he can throw the ball – and like I said earlier, he's one of three players on that team who are closing in on a thousand rushing yards. That team has, I think that team has more weapons than Ohio State does as far as the things they can do with the ball in hands. Yes, we have Paris Campbell and KJ Hill and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin, but I think their weapons are a little more dangerous. I think our biggest weapon is our quarterback. Well, their biggest weapon, yes, Kyler Murray is a Heisman finalist, but they've got a whole lot of other weapons as well. I agree. Uh, Buckeye9131, not to look ahead to the offseason already, but given the interest that Ryan Day might draw from other programs, what could and should Ohio State do to keep him on staff? How much depends on Urban Meyer's near-term plans? Can Ohio State afford to let Day walk? I'll repeat what I've said before. Um, I'm not a fan of million-dollar coordinators. Ohio State put him over the million-dollar mark this year. They gave him control of this offense. They did whatever they could to keep him from going to the NFL. He's eventually going to leave. He's going to be a head coach somewhere. I don't think he's going to jump for a mediocre job. I think he's going to wait for a really good job. I think the Urban Meyer uncertainty might encourage him to help stick around. So I think there's certainly a world where both Urban Meyer and Ryan Day are back next year. I just don't think you can break the bank for these guys. Assistant coaches don't make your team. You have to be able to hire good assistant coaches. Ryan Day has done a really good job. But Tom Herman did a really good job. And Before Ryan Day got here, you guys had never heard of him. You guys had never heard of him, and now you think he's indispensable. If he leaves, go get the next Ryan Day. You should be able to do that. I know Bill Landis was having a conversation with a Twitter follower this week in reference to a story that I wrote a couple years ago. Mike Sanford, whose dad worked with Urban Meyer in the past, was a a coach at Notre Dame. When Tim Beck got the job at Ohio State, they looked at Mike Sanford. 
And actually, Mike Sanford went to Notre Dame instead, I think, with that. Then he got he left Notre Dame and became the Western Kentucky head coach, and he got fired. He just got fired as the Western Kentucky head coach. Here's my bet. If Ryan Day leaves, I think Mike Sanford. And if Ryan Day leaves and Urban Meyer's here, I think Mike Sanford's your coordinator next year. And I think Mike Sanford could do what Ryan Day does. That does not diminish Ryan Day. But I'm telling you, there are a lot. There are good assistants. I was gonna say lots of good assistants. I'm not sure there's lots. There are some, but of the some, a lot of the some want to come to Ohio State, and you do not have to pay them five million dollars a year to stay because the next guy is in line as long as Urban Meyer makes the right hire. So I would not freak out about it. I just, I just cannot live in a world. They're middle managers. No offense to them. But head coaches and players win games. Assistant coaches help put guys in position. But Ryan Day's been really good. Dwayne Haskins will be good no matter what. Uh, let's almost finish. Let's almost finish. Here's, I think, an important – most weeks, this is Alan Kitchen, our guy, at Kitchen 87. Most weeks, it seems we get out game-planned, at least on defense. Against Michigan, it seemed like the coaches developed a great game plan to attack them specifically. Why doesn't that happen every week? I know it's the game, but shouldn't they work to always expose weakness? I understand a lot of games they can win by just being more skilled, but it feels like we might have been, we might have blown out some teams earlier if, in the year if the consistent effort was given in game planning for that week's specific opponent. I, I think that's, I think that's making some assumptions we don't know about um, defensively for Ohio State. Um, it was the adjustment. I don't know that it was the game plan. It's more the adjustment, and which we've talked about all year, which is getting away from straight man-to-man, throwing in some zone, getting the linebackers off the line of scrimmage, and they got some great individual efforts from defensive linemen, like moment to moment. Like Jonathan Cooper made a couple big plays. Chase Young made a couple big plays. Devon Hamilton made a couple big plays. Draymond Jones, a couple big plays. Not all those guys were great every snap. But if you have like five guys each make two good plays, that's 10 really good defensive plays for your defense, and that can change a game. I thought that's what the case was. Defensively, I think it was more the overall adjustments they've been working on all year finally showed up. Offensively, I will tell you this, Ryan Day, I think this, I think there might be something to this. I don't know. Ryan Day has worked with Don Brown in the past, the Michigan defensive coordinator. I think it looked like Ryan Day knew exactly what Don Brown was going to do. I think they saw that they could beat the man coverage. But beyond that, I think Ryan Day had a feel for Don Brown, and I think that really helped Ohio State. It was it makes me wish I had written more about that, written any about that before the game. Um, I think there was familiarity there that went Ryan Day's way. I think that's specific. I think that's specific that Ohio State was eager to attack a defense that likes to play man and eager to attack a defense they had a good handle on because Ryan Day, I think, had a pretty good handle on Don Brown. There are parts of what happened against Michigan that I don't think necessarily carry over to Northwestern. I'm going to write this later in the week. The main thing is Northwestern plays zone. I asked Dwayne Haskins and Ryan Day about that. There's some pretty good answers there. They're pretty obvious, but I think they're still worth writing about. What they do against Northwestern is not going to look like what they did against Michigan, for good and for bad. There's going to be other things open there. What's not going to be open there is crossing routes that turn into 40-yard gains because the defenders are slower than the receivers. I'm out of breath. I'm wheezing again. I don't know. There's people having a debate. I'm trying to get the C. I don't know. Um, oh, we'll end with this one. We'll end with this one. Oh, Charlie McQuillan, Y-Town Westsider, says, five-star podcast, gentlemen, happy with the win, but was looking forward to the R-rated post-game <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Me too. Um he, th- he thought this. he did this before the rankings, Ohio State headed to the Rose Bowl. I think yeah. they are headed to the Rose Bowl. I think that was right. Um, let's finish with Eric Bronstein. 
Am I wrong to think that the defensive performance was fool's gold? Michigan played right into their hands. Despite an athletic advantage, Northwestern spreads it out, which we have shown we cannot stop. I wish Wisconsin didn't suck so we could play them instead. Our defense matches up much better. You know, I'm not going to go crazy with, like, be wary of Northwestern. I think that a lot of – I think there's something to what Eric says. I think there's something to it. Because we've talked about this stylistically, Stephen. Just like when we saw Maryland do, that's not what it, that's not what Michigan tried to do. No. What we saw, what we saw Nebraska do, that's not what Michigan tried to do. Now, I thought Michigan would try to do more of that, and you said that earlier in this podcast. Why didn't they? Northwestern will try to do that. They do not have Anthony McFarland, the Maryland running back. I don't think they do not have Adrian Martinez at quarterback. Their quarterback's pretty good, Clayton Thorson. They are going to be, I think, a step behind athletically some of those other teams. But I think schematically, I do believe in the idea that schematically what the Northwestern offense does is going to be more difficult for the Ohio State defense to stop than what Michigan did. Do you agree with that? I agree with that 100%. Michigan and Michigan State probably put, like are mirroring each other as far as how they approach Ohio State's defense. And because of that, Ohio State was able, you said it earlier, guys had their moments. They didn't have a solid 60-minute game. They had these small little windows of moments where that pretty much changed the game. And against North against Northwestern, well, it's going to be more like how it was against Maryland, how it was against Nebraska, where those moments, they're going to still be there, but there's still going to be times where it looks really, really bad, where it's like, yo, like, why is he up there? Why is there a safety up at the line of scrimmage when if he gets beat, then it's going to the house. It's going to be more stuff like that. So I think the only difference between Northwestern, Maryland, and Nebraska is simply the fact that Northwestern doesn't have an explosive guy that those two teams had. So that might be the only break as far as, you know, the fact that they're going against a team who wants to spread it out. That might be the only lucky break they have is there's no explosive guy that can turn a, a play that really should have been stopped maybe at the line of scrimmage or maybe three or four yards in and stopping it. And it ends up running at 70 yards instead. In, in conclusion, I wouldn't overlook Northwestern. I wouldn't get freaked out about them. But just schematically, there's going to be a lot of things different. Oklahoma is ahead of Ohio State. They're probably going to stay there. So you can want Ohio State to drop 70 on Northwestern, but I'm not sure it's going to matter. Um, They're probably going to the Rose Bowl. And the next time, here's what we'll do. Let me think. Let me think. Here's what we'll do. Can we do this for him, Stephen? Can we do a podcast Sunday after the everything's announced? Yeah. We can do that. So we'll do it Sunday instead of Saturday because Saturday night we're going to be two nuts writing. So what we're going to do is that it will be a Sunday podcast, Sunday afternoon. We're not going to try to do it at night. That will wrap up. And here's the thing. Once the game ends, you guys aren't going to care. As long as Ohio State wins, it's going to be all about did they get in or not. And then it will be the fight over did they deserve to get in, why did this. And then we'll be talking about who they are going to play, whether it's the playoff or the Rose Bowl. Uh, or if they lose to Northwestern, it'll be something else. Um, so we'll do it Sunday afternoon. We'll come back with another wrap-up podcast. And then I, I shudder to say this. I'm thinking, like, what if we took a week off then? Like, if we dropped that Sunday and then we did not come back midweek and then we came back the next Wednesday and t- took, like, a 10-day break. But I feel already, I feel some of you reaching through your phones (laughs) and reaching through your headsets and through your car radios to punch us in the neck and say, do a podcast, which makes us feel loved. 
So I'm feeling your neck punch. Let's see what happens. If they get in, we obviously can't take 10 days off. Yeah. If but we if they don't, then like it might make sense to take And, and the other thing off. is, depending what happened, we could come back and do some basketball stuff. Start doing a little transition. Steven's feeling that. So you know They're what? good. Number <coughs> one in the country. Yeah, number one in the country. Um, <laughs> we'll let you know about that. I don't – we can sleep in the summer. Okay. So for now, let's go to this Ralph Russo interview. Okay. Um, we appreciate Ralph Russo stopping by. We appreciate Robert Smith stopping by. Um, I'll come back and uh, and wrap it up with everybody. But uh, Stephen, why don't you say uh, you say a little farewell, and then uh, we'll go to Ralph, and then I'll do the Buckeye Talk thing. Listen, when he's done. I want to share my appreciation with how you guys have accepted me into this Buckeye Talk family. Um, everyone's been so supportive. I actually met somebody at the Ohio State Michigan game while we were trying to get to post game interviews and he was just talking about how he loved the podcast um and he loved how the energy I was bringing so thank you guys for being so welcoming and you know you make me feel emotional oh see you're making him cry <laughs> you're breaking this hardened man you're making him cry the love of Buckeye Talk Nation is flowing through the veins of Stephen Means um all right Thanks to you guys. Let's get to Ralph Russo, and we'll be back after that. Joined here on Buckeye Talk by Ralph Russo, the great national college football writer for the Associated Press. We saw Ralph in Columbus last week for Ohio State, Michigan. This weekend on Championship Weekend, he's going to stay at home and monitor everything, and that's why we want to talk to Ralph today because, Ralph, you and I are talking here before the playoff rankings come out, but what I'm curious about from you is the context of Ohio State. You watched the Buckeyes in person last year. When we're talking about the best teams in the country, Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, beyond a playoff discussion, like, how close is Ohio State in that mix? Or having watched all the best teams this year, are there things about Ohio State who, you know, they've given up a lot of points some weeks, had some problems. Are they just short when it comes to the, maybe the top three teams? Yeah, I, I, would, I would adjust that to the top two. And I might even put one and two in their own sort of separate categories. So there's the Alabama category, there's the Clemson category, and then there's the everybody else category. Okay. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame is that much ahead of an Ohio State and Oklahoma. You know, pick your your favorite flavor. Uh, I think Georgia certainly has a a chance this weekend to sort of say, okay, we're in the class of Alabama because they literally play Alabama. but as of right now, I wouldn't do that. I would put Georgia basically sort of like below that with Notre Dame and everybody else. So as to where Ohio State stands, you know, again, if, if everything is about, well, you know, let's compare them to Alabama. Alabama might be in the course of having the greatest college football season ever. They won all of their games by 20 points. That hasn't happened in a 12-game season since, I think it's 1888 with Yale. Wow, that Yale team was really good, though. Yeah, I know you covered them. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but, but, I mean, that sort of puts it in perspective what we're dealing with with Alabama. Now, listen, Alabama will have to prove that they are as good as, as we think they are in the next few weeks. Uh, and, but, but they are on a pace to be one of the great teams of all time. I don't think Clemson is quite at that level, but I do think Clemson has sort of separated itself to the point where they are, you could say, we're a notch ahead of everybody else. We, have, we play good defense. We play good offense. We have a lot of different ways to beat you. 
Whereas, you know, Ohio State sort of falls into the next batch where you're right. There are some days where you literally, not even some days, I think even within some games, the defense looks okay. Right. You've got some really you've got some really good pass rushers and high level athletes in the secondary. And when the linebackers are where they're supposed to be, they tend to, you know, do pretty good things. Harrison looked tremendous last week. You know, kind of wondering where that's been all year. So, um, you know, they're in that mix with with all these other, you know, Notre Dame and, and Oklahoma. But I just I would just very hesitant to put anybody at, at Alabama's level. So, Ralph, I, we're talking again before the playoff rankings come out, so I don't want to like get into too much uh, Ohio State-Oklahoma because the committee is going to tell us what it thinks on Tuesday night before our Buckeye Talk listeners listen to this. So I, I want to talk about the idea because whatever the rankings are Tuesday night, certainly, depending what happens on championship weekend, we could see Alabama-Ohio State in a 1-4 matchup in a semifinal. I have said, and I, I haven't watched a bunch of Alabama, but to me – Ohio State would at least have a puncher's chance because of Dwayne Haskins. If we get to that point, and this is jumping way ahead, like what what would an Ohio State Alabama matchup look like? Do you do you agree? Could Dwayne Haskins and his arm do anything against that Alabama defense, or how much of an uphill battle? We know it would be an uphill battle. How much of an uphill battle would it be for Ohio State against the Crimson Tide? Yeah, I, I do think they have. You're you're not going to beat them. 21-17, let's put it that way, right? So so the idea, I, I think we, we have to sort of, like, let's think bigger picture here. We, we, we sort of got into this idea of defense wins championships, defense wins championships. I, I, not really the case anymore in college football. I, I think offense wins championships, and Alabama's got a very good defense, and Clemson has a very good defense, but the thing that will keep you in the game against Alabama is you're going to have to score against them. So I do think Haskins and all those receivers. And I, but I think the key thing for Alabama is, and this is where, excuse me, for Ohio State, this is where I think Oklahoma has a little bit of an edge. Oklahoma can do a zillion different things offensively all well, right? They can throw deep. They can get the quarterback involved in the running game. They can run sort of traditional power running game. They have a lot of different ways to attack you offensively. The concern I have with Ohio State against an Alabama would be the Ohio State running game has been here and sometimes not there. Yep. And and if you're one-dimensional, no matter what that dimension is, Alabama will eat you up, right? They, they can figure out a way to take away the one thing you do well. So if I'm just sort of saying, like, which offense matches better, you know, I think Oklahoma's offense might match better. But I, I do think if, if, Al, if Haskins is good enough, the receivers are good enough, if the offensive line, which played really well, and I saw you tweet about this today, and we talked about it, I think, a little bit in yep. the press box on Saturday, if the offensive line plays could play well and create holes for Dobbins and Weber, who are two excellent backs, now you are in position to at least chase Alabama, right? To get them into that where we can match scores. Because I think that's the only way you're going to get Alabama this year is if you can outscore them. Uh, this idea, again, this idea that you know, I know Ohio State's defense is flawed and Oklahoma's defense is flawed, but this idea that, well, if we can hold them to, you know, to set to 24, maybe we'll be in good shape. Mississippi State did that, but that was a little different. Yep. Mississippi State, Mississippi State did that. But Alabama had no threat that Mississippi State was going to score. So they, they could sort of sit on Mississippi State's chest 
and they did the same thing with LSU. They basically just they understood that like these guys aren't going to be able to, to attack us through the passing game, so we're just going to sit on them. And if we only need to score twenty four or thirty one, well, that's fine. Ralph, I, I like asking journalists impossible questions because it makes me feel powerful. So I'm going to ask you this question, Ralph. Again, beyond what the rankings show, and I'm sure this, this factors in a little bit to every AP poll voter, to every playoff committee member, but in your opinion, having seen them both, if Ohio State and Oklahoma played each other, who would win? Hmm. Um, I think... Oklahoma's offense might even be better than Alabama's. Okay. So let's go with that premise, that Oklahoma's offense might very well be the best unit in the country. All right? Um, So building off that, (laughs) you know, I, I, I think I would probably go with Oklahoma because I don't think... They would have. I would be more inclined to think that Oklahoma wouldn't have a bad offensive day at all. Yeah. Whereas, you know, again, listen, Oklahoma's defense is such a sieve, but I, I just I feel like that offense operates at such a high level that if it needed to get sixty, it would get sixty. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I'll tell people that you're saying this within the context of you've been tweeting that that you think. Ohio State has a decent chance to get in ahead of Oklahoma. So I do think there's a, there is a difference, right, Ralph? And you analyze the playoff committee and the way they, the way they work. There is a difference between who would win in a matchup and maybe who's going to get picked or who deserves to get picked. Like the team that gets picked, it's, not, it's kind of the four best teams, but it's not quite that simple either, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mix of – that's the thing. Like four best is, is, uh, is purposefully vague. Right. Like yes. What what does best mean? Best means whatever five people in a room determined to be best, right? So it, it so it's a combination essentially of resume, what you have accomplished, and how you play. So you get a little bit of a mix, uh, a cocktail of could this team beat this team, or and I look at their resume, look at their schedules, yes, but look at all the good wins because if it comes down to resume. If it comes down to resume, I really do think it's just an an argument about Ohio State. Ohio State will have the better wins, right? They will have a win against Michigan, which will probably still be a top 10 team, top 12 team. They will have a win against Penn State, which will be top 12, top 13. Oklahoma will not be able to match that, right? Ohio State also has the worst loss, right? So Ohio State has a resume that suggests a very high ceiling. And a very low floor, whereas with Oklahoma, you sort of know what you're going to get, which is 55-50, right? Yeah. Pretty much against everybody, <laughs> right. you're getting that same Oklahoma performance. Um, so, but, but again, it's a little bit of a blend of that. So if you ask me, put, you know, put two teams, if we go to Vegas and say who would be favored on a neutral field, I'm guessing it's probably pretty close. Ohio State always tends to get, get a little bit of a bump from Vegas because they have so much talent everywhere. So maybe it's a one-point game either way. But even that doesn't, isn't quite what the committee is looking at. So I have a tendency to believe that the resume is better for Ohio State. 
and that the resume could be what gets Ohio State in the playoff. So if you're asking me who gets in without seeing the rankings tonight, because we're talking before, I would say Ohio State. If you're asking me which one I would pick in a game, I, I might pick Oklahoma. And and I know that may not make sense, but neither neither does this, this system to a certain degree, right? It's not necessarily a coherent system, so I can get away without having a coherent answer. I do. I, th- I think it's the, it's it's far from a perfect system, but I think it's the best thing we've had to this point. So maybe we'll get someday to a thing that actually makes total sense. There's one more thing I want to delve into, and there's two questions in it. The first one is, do you think Alabama is in the playoff, win or lose? If Alabama loses to Georgia, will Alabama get in the playoff? And then I think that might render the Ohio State-Oklahoma debate moot because we're talking about Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Alabama. Do you believe that? Yeah, the more I look at it, and I literally was in the process of looking at it before you called for it to have this interview. I was, you know, again, the rankings haven't come out, but I'm sort of looking at these resumes and things like that. It's hard. It would be a good and easy out for the committee, right? Yep. We, we, the Ohio State and Oklahoma is a tough choice between two two teams with flaws. If if Alabama loses to Georgia by three points, let's just take them both. And I, and I, I think it'd be hard for the committee, which clearly has believed all year that Alabama is the number one team. You're number one all year, and then you're not perfect, and you're out, and you fill you you have two other one loss teams that are in ahead of Alabama. I just I know some people think obviously conference titles matter, but. They've proven that with Ohio State two years ago, that they put Ohio State in without a conference title. I, I agree. I think Bama's in no matter what. So that leads to the final question. Can Georgia beat Alabama, do you think? What's the chance of that? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm really feeling that this this year. You know, I think that they were two pretty equal teams last year. Georgia is very good. Um, ever since they've got their running game back in order, DeAndre Swift has gotten healthy, and, and that's kind of taken the offense to another level. Um, and that offense looks a little more like last year's. They're not rushing the passer very well. Uh, listen, this is a talented defense. They've got one of the best corners in the country, the Andre Baker. But they're not getting a ton of pressure on quarterbacks. I just don't know how you defend Tua and those receivers if you're not really getting in his face. I mean, the one thing Mississippi State was able to do with two of the best linemen in the country, Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons, two possible first-round draft picks, was they were they were able to sort of get around to a, around his feet and put some pressure on him. Georgia hasn't done that consistently this year against anybody, nevertheless Alabama with two NFL you know offensive tackles. So... I don't think so. I don't think it's going to even be all that close. I could see Alabama again running out to you know something between a 14 and 21 point victory. Um, so I do think we are going to get to Sunday, excuse me, Saturday night, debating Ohio State and Oklahoma. I do. I do think we're going to get to that point and not have you know Alabama sort of muck up the works by losing and getting to the playoff. It is clear that Ohio State fans need to root for Alabama. The playoff makes strange bedfellows, and Ralph, I lied. I lied to you, my friend. I'm going to ask you one more. Is that okay? Yeah, shoot, fire away. Not team, but program. Talking program. Talking overall health, not just this season. When Ohio State beat Alabama in 2014, I expected, I think some other people expected, Ohio State's going to be the second-best program in college football now. They're going to be the primary challenger to Alabama. 
Clemson has taken that mantle. I think to me, when I look at the best college programs, Alabama is clearly number one. Nobody would argue with that. I think Clemson is clearly number two. I think Ohio State's three. I think obviously Oklahoma and Georgia are in that mix. How do you evaluate the Ohio State football program right now? And what did you think? Did you think maybe when they beat Bama, you know, they've been in the mix since then for sure. But did you think maybe they'd do even a little more on the national stage in the next couple of years compared to what they have done? I did. I, I thought that they would consistently be the the biggest challenger. I think they would be more where Clemson is, the, the mean, meaning the biggest challenger to Saban's dynasty down in Alabama. I think the other thing that has been Again, you hate to use the word disappointing for a team that loses once, maybe twice a year. I think the other thing that's been a little disappointing, though, for Buckeyes fans is, is the big flameouts, right? It's yeah. not that we, you know, it, it's not making the playoff at all in 2015 when they clearly were one of the four best teams in the country. It, it's the 31 nothing to Clemson. It's, it's losing the last couple of years to these unranked teams. So there is the perception that Ohio State is farther behind Alabama and Clemson than is probably true. Um, the, but those singular failures, those those sort of spectacular failures on grand stages, has you know has, has left them you know probably in the third or fourth, probably with the perception of being closer to the Oklahomas of the world than to Clemson and Alabama in the top two. Um, but you know, I, if you ask me to, you know, state the health of the program, you know, listen, as long as Urban Meyer is there, you have a chance to, to play for a national championship or to be in the mix for a national championship every year. Alabama's presence and what Saban has done has sort of skewed our perception of what an elite program should look like because they're doing things that have never been done before. But all you can ask of your team is to be in the mix every year. And Ohio State is one of the very few teams that is deeply in the mix every year. And I do think, Ralph, in the playoff era, um, all of us in the media, fans, teams are still straddling that that line between traditional rivalries, your conference, that kind of thing, and the national stage. And I think the fact that Ohio State has dominated its rivalry – Nobody is comparing Ohio State to Michigan anymore. That there's not a comparison to be made. So until Michigan, you know, lifts itself back up to Ohio State's level, you can assume Ohio State's the best team in its conference. So then, who do you compare them to? You compare them to Alabama, and then they start falling short because they've been so dominant in the comparison locally. So I agree with you that I thought they were going to do a little more. But to me, that's the threshold, Ralph, of any great program. It's not making the playoff every year. It's certainly not winning a national championship every year. But it's being in the mix every year, that you don't have a two-year or three-year lull. Every year for basically 12 weeks, you get talked about as a playoff contender. And really, I think there's only five teams at that level right now. And it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. And then I think there is a drop to everybody else. I will throw one other thing in there, and that's, you know, Clemson has a fresh look to it, too. Now, and this is not to take away anything from what Clemson has done, but Clemson does not get looked at in the same light as Ohio State. Clemson, I believe, is the happiest program in the, in the country right now. I think this is all somewhat fresh and new for them. Now they are delivering at a very high level. But it's just a different vibe, right? I don't think there. I think there is a sense of Ohio State and among their fans of sort of this urgency, and that and I, you would know this better than me, right? I think Ohio State fans maybe have 
trouble almost uh, enjoying the success because the so much success is asked of that program. Whereas with Clemson, they're just sort of enjoying the ride right now. They haven't been in anywhere near this in years and years and years. So I think it's, again, a little Trump sometimes it's perception and how you're framing things. I think our perception of Clemson right now, even though they've definitely been better and they've beaten Ohio State on the field a couple of times, so they've definitely been better. But our perception of Clemson is a little different because I think they haven't been there. And so they're doing things that they've never done before. It's kind of like a new money, old money thing, Ralph. I mean, it is. It's just the way the world works. But uh, I think that's a good point as well. So um, thank you for your time. It's always great to see you in the press box. And I'm sure if Ohio State winds up uh, in a semifinal somewhere and somehow in the national championship, we'll catch up again. But for now, thanks for your time. Thanks, Doug. Yowza, that is it. That is a uh, uh, disjointed, but uh, you know, hopefully entertaining Buckeye talk. We had three locations there. I interviewed. No, wait. Yes. No, yeah, three. I interviewed Ralph in the Fawcett Center, which is like a building on Ohio State's campus in the lobby there. I interviewed uh, Robert Smith in my fart-smelling basement. Then Stephen and I recorded in McDonald's, and now I am recording this uh, very uh, well-spoken finale back in my basement. So, thanks to Ralph Russo of the AP. Thanks to Robert Smith of Fox Sports. Thanks to McDonald's for serving as our podcast studio. On behalf of Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. We will be in... Indianapolis starting Friday afternoon for a news conference. I think that starts around 4 or 4.30. Urban Meyer and Pat Fitzgerald on Friday. We will then... Uh, people have mentioned the idea of like a meetup or something in Indy. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. We didn't get enough of a response. Um, so we won't do that. Maybe I'll just see you guys out and about. If you're going to be there, maybe we'll just see you out and about. Diet Coke's on me. But make sure you're with us at Cleveland.com for our coverage the rest of the week leading up to this game. Saturday night, coverage from Indy, and then get back with us on Sunday afternoon. I think the playoff rankings are out at noon, and we will have a million things right after it, whether the Buckeyes are in the playoff or whether they are headed to the Rose Bowl or whether somehow they lost to Northwestern and they're going somewhere else. And then you'll really want to hear us talk about that. So... Always appreciate you guys. Didn't drop any reviews this week. We're still a five-star, hanging strong. Appreciate all your support. Great emails to the Gmail account. I've been a little less active on the podcast Twitter account because, again, Landis used to do that, and I still have to get in the flow of that. That's been pointed out to me. I'll try to, you know, mix it up a little bit more on the uh, Buckeye Talk Twitter handle uh, at Buckeye Talk Pod, but you can always get us on our individual Twitter handles where we are very active at Stephen with the PH underscore means at Doug Maurice. That's a long-winded finale. Thanks for your ears. For Stephen, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>